Welcome to The Story So Far, a podcast series by the Silk Road Institute that explores a broad range of artistic expression by Muslim artists in Canada through the eyes of the artists themselves. From music to literature, film, design, fashion, and more, we invite you on a journey into the minds and creative practices of some of the most talented and inspiring Muslims creating art in this country today. I'm your host, Tendesai Cromwell. In this episode of The Story So Far, I had the opportunity to chat with Hannah Shafi. Hannah, also known as Frizz Kid, is an illustrator, poet, and writer based in Toronto. Her expansive body of work includes a series of illustrated affirmations she started in 2016, and two poetry books called It Begins With a Body, along with Small, Broke, and Kind of Dirty. As a writer, her articles have appeared in The Walrus, Hazlitt, This Magazine, and elsewhere. Hannah's work frequently touches on themes of feminism, body politics, racism, and pop culture. And in 2017, the Canadian Council of Muslim Women named Hannah as the recipient of the Women Who Inspire Award. Hannah is a gifted storyteller and reflects on her life with warmth and humor. And during our conversation, she opens up about her past and how art is a form of resistance, joy, and healing. I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Let's take a listen. So Hannah, first question. I'm really curious about the life of young Hannah and what drew you to the arts leading you to become Frizz Kid? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, I was a very, very like head in the clouds, like imaginative, creative child. And one of my closest friends who I've known since I was in the third grade, um, she would often talk about how like I had all these scrapbooks I had like a poetry scrapbook and I would like print out my poems in like ridiculous fonts and then I would decorate them and like do all this stuff. And she was like, you know, you would do all this weird stuff. And I thought you were so strange that you were doing all these things. And then you ended up actually like publishing a book of poetry. And it was like, I can't believe like your little baby dreams like came true. So I I did. And I used to write like a lot of stories and I would draw like weird things. And I was just always kind of like thinking of a different world like my head was always sort of not (laughs) grounded in reality (laughs) yeah I love that but you know I wanted to actually then talk about what you've created now that you're an adult Mm -hmm. your much celebrated affirmation series for instance could you describe um I guess your artistic process and and the affirmation series itself yeah the affirmation stuff was really interesting because um my art prior to that was a completely different style, but it was really similar subject matter. It was centered around mental health. But I tended to draw, like, these really, like, weird, like, almost grotesque cartoons, which I've actually gotten back into, um, going back to my roots. But when I I wanted to create things, I think I felt the need for something soothing. I saw that needed myself. And so when I started posting a couple of affirmations, and at this time I didn't really have a lot of followers, it was just really for my friends to see, it got a really, like, enormous response all of a sudden. Like, a lot of people, like, on my Facebook and things like that were like, oh, my God, this made me feel so good. And I thought that that was so wild because, like, I had never received that kind of response before. And I was like, oh, maybe, like... It wasn't just me who needed to see something soothing. Maybe it was like everyone else too. And so that's basically how the series started. I was like, I think I need to do this more. I think there's like a real need for it. So that's how I started, you know, making the affirmations was um, 
addressing things that I needed to hear, but also addressing things that I felt, you know, my friends needed to hear or my community needed to hear. Um, and so you over the span of the series, which was for five years, um, there's different moments where you can tell sort of like some of them are very topical. Like you can sort of tell what was going on in that time. Some are maybe specific to certain current events or things like that or certain hot topics at the time. So you see like this long span of just all this just nice, gentle words that could just make someone feel understood or at peace even just for for a moment. But now Hannah's in a different era. I, I'm I in did. a different era now. I see yeah. like the absurdist, the grotesque, yes. the, the unusual. You're really drawn to that. So where I are you creatively? Stuff. Like, yeah, you want to talk about that? Um, so I decided, so I had made about 285 affirmations, which is a lot. I never expected that the series was going to last that long. It was like an experiment for me. And it ended up lasting really long. I did would do like one a week. Um, and... I, I started to realize, though, I was like, you know what? I love this series, but I, I don't see myself doing this forever because – and I, I think there's some pressure on social media to, like, pick your thing and then do it forever. Um, that's very much how art is supposed to exist on social media. But I really reject that because the way that art is actually supposed to exist – since the beginning of time is that art has always been fluid and artists change. I mean, you see someone like, you know, uh, the painter Goya and how he would do these like really beautiful, lovely, airy fairy kind of paintings. And all of a sudden he did his famous um, black, the black paintings, which were really scary and really strange. And people were like, oh my God, this artist did this huge shift. So like since, since, the beginning of time that artists have existed, they've always been fluid in their practice and they've been drawn to different mediums, different styles, things like that. So I decided to end the series. I no longer felt it was sustainable and I felt I had said everything I needed to say with it. And I had created a beautiful series and I thought, I'm not going to taint this by pushing it further than it needs to go. I want it to just be a complete whole thing. And I was really missing the stuff that I used to do. I was missing the those weird cartoons, those strange things, the art that was sort of mesmerizing but also very uncomfortable to look at and why I wanted to create that level of discomfort in my art. And so I've turned to that and I'm exploring it and taking it in new directions. And I'm, I'm like having so much fun with it. Like I'm so glad I did that step. Okay, that's that's great. I want yeah. to explore more about yeah. that through discussing the body in yeah. a moment. But I want to take it to faith. Mm-hmm. Um, in your your book, Small, Broken, Kind of Dirty, you share that you're a non-practicing Muslim, like you're a spiritual, a secular spiritualist, but you mm-hmm. really cling to your faith. Absolutely. Um, because you cherish your Muslimness so much, I'm wondering how your faith identity is woven into your artistic practice, if at all. I think it's there a lot. Um, I really value... Um, certain certain practices and ideas taught in Sufi mysticism that art is actually what brings people closer to God, and that when we when we do art, we're like channeling the divine. Um, and I always thought that was a really beautiful idea. And I think that when we explore in history art that deals with reverence and adoration of God, it's some of the most beautiful art you'll see, you know, ranging from like Renaissance art that depicted Christ crucified or geometric art in a masjid. It's like this absolute adoration goes into it and it's seen in the art and so for me I wanted to put that in my art even though um, I may not necessarily be 
what one might assume to be like conventionally Muslim because I guess society has a certain idea of like what a Muslim looks like or how a Muslim is supposed to act. Um, I still believe in the fact that like God works through your art. God works through all people's art, you know? I, lo- I really love that. Yeah, As you're speaking, it's just it's so evocative. Um, but I wanted to talk now, like, like so much of your work, like we were talking outside, that mm-hmm. your poetry, your essays, your reflection pieces, of course, your illustrations, they revolve around the body. Mm-hmm. Very so, much so. So you look at the, in its raw form almost, like very uncomfortable and awkward stages of adolescence, mm-hmm. personal experiences with irritable bowel yeah. syndrome. And of course, your affirmation mm-hmm. series is all about the loving of the self, right? Yes. And um, so... I'm looking at your whole body of work as an artist. You've been doing this for a number of years. I'm interested specifically in hearing about what you wish to convey about the brown Muslim mm-hmm. body living in this country here. It's it's such a complex experience because my experience as a brown Muslim woman is so different than the experience of another brown Muslim woman. And so one of the things that I've noticed in the sort of consumption of Muslim art in North America is that it's very homogenized. Like, I think that when we, when our art goes out there, maybe like non-Muslims or like white folks will see it as like, this is a representation of Muslims and Muslim art. But that's wrong because it's like, I'm not specifically a representation of Muslim art. I have a unique experience as a Muslim woman. And as does every other Muslim woman has her own unique experience. And we have such a like, like such intense diversity, such a wealth of stories and experiences that just span over so many walks of life. Like it's so important that we value the intense diversity in our experiences. And the thing is, is like you can see that in white authors. If a white author does a memoir, we understand that this is their memoir of their experience. But when a Muslim person does a memoir, it's like, Ah, yes, they are capturing the Muslim experience. This is my Muslim experience. This is my experience with my faith and with my body and with God. And it's going to be different for every other person. And that's why I feel like you, I always encourage people, consume a lot of media from racialized artists, not just one thing and say, oh, I did my piece because I read this book by by this so-and-so identity. You have to read so much and consume so much visual art because... I mean, Islam is the second biggest religion in the world. There's so such a wealth of stories and experiences and art. Like, it, it's so abundant, and we're so lucky to have that, to have such a vast, intricate, and complex community. So um, when I explore, I'm, I'm adding my little piece to this huge mosaic of stories. Um, which I think is really lovely. And I feel so honored that I'm able to put my work out there and add it to this list of like extremely talented Muslim writers and, and artists. It's it's wonderful. Well, you know what? And I actually wanted to speak more about your book of poetry mm-hmm. because it begins with the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you dedicate an entire chapter to faith, yes. calling it Faith is a Relationship, which I really think is a beautiful title. Mm-hmm. Could you tell me about your process of exploring God, jinn, mosque mm-hmm. experiences, and faith broadly through your poetry mm-hmm. and illustrations? It was really important for me to do a chapter about faith because I have had a very complex and sometimes strained relationship with faith over my life. Like I went to like Quran classes as a kid and 
some of my Quran teachers were super weird. <laughs> like I have really strange experiences, but I wanted to include that because, you know, so many topics about faith are either I have the utmost faith in God and that's it, or it's I've completely rejected faith and like I'm an atheist now. Like those are the two dominant narratives we see about faith. But I wanted to show that it was possible to straddle a world in between, to have faith that you cling to, but that also sometimes wavers because life can make faith waver. Anyone who says my faith has never wavered in my life, I think is lying. Everyone has a moment where their faith wavers, where something happens, where something makes you doubt. And I think that doubt is is not wrong. It's very healthy. And it helps actually strengthen our relationship with the divine because we're allowing ourselves to explore different ideas. And so I wanted to show my experience with faith because it was such a strange one and it, it continues to grow and change. Even where I am now and where I was in writing the book is very different. So I wanted to also show those little strange pieces and ugly pieces because also I think there's like a lot of like being a Muslim in North America is really hard because sometimes when we want to criticize our community, we're like afraid to because we don't want to give ammo to Islamophobes to use against us. And I always found that very stifling because it was like, well, everyone has problems with their community. No matter where you're from, there are always intra-community problems. And I wanted to be able to write about that. I wanted to be able to say like, yeah, I had really weird Quran teachers. That doesn't mean that Muslims are bad people. It's just that everyone's had a weird teacher in their life. And I needed a way to just talk about that honestly, that I can love my people and love my faith, but also still sometimes have contradictory feelings about it that I'm still working through because I'm a regular, regular person and not a spokesperson or not appointed to try to like defend the whole community from like, shitty Islamophobes that are anyways going to use anything we say against us. You know, I just wanted a chance to be honest. Um, and it was also fun getting to explore topics like just like the quirkiness of being in a masjid and sometimes the odd things that happen there. Like when this kid stole my chocolate bar during sajda and I was like just distraught, faith shattered. He stole my chocolate bar. And it's those little moments that are kind of the simple nor moments to also normalize the experience in the masjid. Like it, it's you're around people and people are strange. You'll meet really interesting people and you'll also meet really annoying people. It's a house of worship. Everyone's welcome. Even the most annoying aunties are welcome. So it's also about normalizing these places that I think are sort of shrouded in mystery in North America. Like, what goes on in the mosque? What are they talking about in there? You know, regular stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to stifle laughs because I don't want to interrupt <laughs> no, you totally talking. Because I'm like, this is really funny. The chocolate one. Part like, one. this kid that, stole my chocolate bar. I'm like, in the mustard. In the mustard. <laughs> I read it, and I was, I was like, like, how dare you? And that was supposed to be like, because it was the night before Eid. And so we were there for you hours. You needed the chocolate bar. And I needed the chocolate bar so bad because we were there for hours. And he stole God. it like during the Maz and I saw him do it. And I was like, you I do, can't you even. Could, you couldn't even do anything about I it. I can't do anything in the middle of the Maz. The whole mosque is silent. Yeah. Imagine I go, hey, you, you stop that. <laughs> 
That is amazing. I love it. Oh, we should shake it. We need story. I want that to be in part of like a novel or something. Oh, yeah. I can write a whole novel about just like that strange is- masjid happenings. Oh, my gosh. Like I every auntie that. who's ever come and been like, sister, please, and like pulls down your shirt. Yes. And yes. I'm like, girl, my shirt was not riding up. Just back up. <laughs> just please. leave me alone. Why you watching I don't me? even know you. Like literally like strangers would come up to me. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, this is none of your business. Like, it's between me and my God. This yeah. has nothing just to do with you. Just pay attention to your prayers. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I wanted to move along to a yeah. particular image that struck me. I mean, mm-hmm. I was I obviously took a lot of time to look at your affirmation series. But the one that said fight fascism, mm-hmm. that actually stood out to me because of the moment that we're living through. Oh, yes. And, you know, just for the benefit of the, the audience that it says, may we fight, may we have the strength to fight fascism. Mm-hmm. But the image is almost the opposite because it's a woman with a serene expression. Mm-hmm. Her fists are raised in a fighting pose, but in place of actual fists, there are a collection of flowers. Mm-hmm. So as a Muslim with your own individual experience living in Canada during a time of heightened Islamophobia, take me through that image and in particular the flowers, the pose, the calmness, and why it was important for you to share that with the world. I wanted to, first of all, I think so many affirmations can come from a privileged place and can be rather apolitical, which I don't believe in doing. I think art is inherently political. And I wanted a chance to also express that part of our self-care and part of community self-care is to identify when we're in troubling times and when you do see these sort of rising, creeping signs of of fascism and bigotry. Um, And she's in a fighting stance because it's okay to have anger, and anger can be righteous too. Anger is not a bad emotion. It's not always about being positive or being happy. But I wanted to show a calmness because um, we can be sort of calm and self-assured in the face of chaos. You know, we're experiencing a time that is extremely, extremely chaotic and confusing because there's just there's just hate coming from all these different directions and there's hate sometimes coming from the outside there's hate coming sometimes from within the community and um to show just a woman who is assured and strong and blooming in her own way during that time I felt was something that was important and powerful. And I often have the motif of flowers throughout the affirmation series and even throughout my art right now. There's a motif of flowers. Um, And I always loved that because I always like loved the expression of like, may life like bring you flowers. Like I always wanted it to be like, I I found it to be such a beautiful universal imagery and such a strong thing from my childhood of just like seeing my mother plant flowers and having flowers in the house was like this thing that was very calming. This thing that was also often associated with like feminine domesticity, like just like the domestic woman has like her flowers and everything. Um, But I love it because it's also a shattering of gender roles. Like flowers are pleasing to all like you know what I mean like we all have our blooms in our in our life um and so I I wanted to incorporate that into the image because um everyone has different ways of fighting right like she has her fist raised but the flowers around it symbolize how how is she fighting fascism is it through her fist or is it through other acts of care that she does so for example when the elder women in our community cook for the community or bring food to the masjid or do something like that 
is that also not an act of rebellion and fight against fascism to do that work? And we often sort of look down on that kind of work, that that kind of domestic work is like, oh, whatever. It's not frontline work. It is frontline work. Because you're, you're, when you do those things, it brings a community together. And people are most vulnerable when they're isolated and they're divided. When a community is strong and together, nothing can hurt it, you know? That's so beautiful. Thank you. It's, it's very, very beautiful. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> just very thoughtful. Um, but I wanted to take it in a slightly different direction mm-hmm. because it's not just about oppression, mm-hmm. now is it? I read, and it was. I really like this, actually. Um, you write that when you're interviewed, um, that you're often times people want you to disclose hardships mm-hmm. that you face that inspired, you know, the different affirmations, let's say. But you say that you're you're as concerned, if not even more, maybe with thriving mm-hmm. and you're inspired by joy of, you know, um, other queer folks, yes. um, the trans community, um, racialized folks and other marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of joy in there. And uh, you also write that I never want the headline to be about op- the oppressed Muslim girl yeah. who rises from the ashes. So could you tell me about the role that joy, love, and pleasure play in your art, your politics, and your life? You know, I think, yes, we are who we are because of struggle, but we also are who we are because of our happiest moments. Like, our happiest moments in our life are a huge part in defining who we are, just as much as how the sad moments. And we often show how, like, a person and their and their hardest and saddest moment really, devi- like, decides and strengthens their character. I mean, one, this can also be a huge romanticization of trauma, right? Like, people don't necessarily want to be defined by their worst moment in life. I certainly don't want that to be what people see when they look at me would be my lowest moment. Um, we're also, uh, I think we're just as much, if not more, defined by the ways in which we behaved or were enlightened when we had our most joyful and pleasurable moments in life. And I think it's so important to see those narratives with marginalized people because when we're constantly sort of forced into these narratives of constant hardship and trauma, it it becomes trauma porn. It's like, okay, you know what? Disclose your most vulnerable moments to an audience of, of onlookers to a white gaze, to a male gaze, to a privileged gaze, and let them watch you struggle and make a story out of it. And it's like, I don't want that. I like, yes, my, my, my struggle and my disadvantages in life are definitely a part of my story, but so is my, my joy. The fact that I like have a huge family and all the joys that come with that and the hardships that come with having a huge family. I want them to see, um, you know, the fact that you know, I would play with the neighborhood kids growing up and those little moments of joy and how being, you know, our, our little like kid gang that we had also defined who I was as a person and those special moments and, you know, the the hangouts with the friends and the sleepovers and the sneaking into R-rated movies and things like that. And we see those coming of age sort of joyful moments often expressed in movies, literature and art about white coming of age stories or straight, you know, the average white cis straight kid living in the suburbs coming-of-age story. But our coming-of-age stories also have those beautiful moments, those moments that are universal and often mundane. Like, kids of color also grew up doing prank calls and things like that. Like, we did that stuff too. (laughs) And we were silly, and we had goofy moments. It wasn't all just, you know, terror and sadness and trauma and... You know, that kind of stuff. And so 
I really wanted a chance to express my joy and have people be as interested in my joy as they seem to be about whatever terrible stuff I've gone through. You know, I don't want to only be defined by the bad things. As much as the bad things can be important and they need to be talked about in a lot of circles, um, my, my happiness is like a huge part of my art. I can't make art without that joy. And well, like many marginalized and equity-seeking groups, the Muslim, various Muslim communities, mm-hmm. plural, often seem to be like in a perpetual state of like grief, mm-hmm. either resistance or resignation. Do you think your art and just art in general can facilitate the kind of healing that would lead to sort of I joy? think it's so important to use art as healing. Um, and I've done a lot of art workshops where this is a this is a dominant theme. It's about art as self-care, art as a method of healing, art as a way of um, sitting with grief, sitting with trauma, sitting with anger and working through it, acknowledging those emotions, art as something that's transformative, that can help um, progress our grief into a healthier place, as a way to channel our rage, because it can be a rage that's righteous, but we also don't want it to eat us up inside. Um, and yeah, the Muslim community is always grieving. Like every, it seems like every month there's a headline. Uh, just recently, there was uh, a thwarted attack on a mosque in Mississauga, and I saw that headline. And I was like, oh my god! Like just before Ramadan, again, another thing, and um, it it can grind you down, and it, it it's a very slow erosion to experience this kind of grief over and over again, to look at the headlines and go, oh my God, something else happened. Or even just like looking at the headlines and a Muslim person has done something violent and then thinking, oh my God, the Islamophobia is going to start again because someone in our community did something. And now we have to explain ourselves again. And now we have to come out again and condemn it. And it's like, oh my gosh, can we have our moments of joy too? Can we have our moments of celebration and of beauty and of life? Because we're not just a community centered around death. We're also community centered around life and giving and joy. And I hate the idea of even in the news, it's like I feel like the only thing that we ever see about Muslims is about death. Either that Muslims died or Muslims have been or either that Muslims have died or that Muslims have killed. And we don't get to see anything else. And it's like, imagine the impact that has on the children of our community. I mean, I know, I remember seeing uh, 9-11 on TV and all of a sudden deciding that I wasn't going to tell people that I was Muslim because I felt awkward and uncomfortable and like lying at birthday parties about why I couldn't eat pepperoni pizza. I literally told a girl I was allergic to pork. Like I did not want to say that I was Muslim. And like, Imagine the the joy that sucks out of the children in our community. So it's so important that we start prioritizing our happiness for the sake of our elders, for the sake of the children in the community, for the sake of all marginalized people. Okay, that's 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 absolutely true. And mm-hmm. I think uh, just a couple more questions and mm-hmm. and connected to this um, beyond healing, or maybe just alongside of it. What do you think is the power and value of your art, and why do you think it resonates with so many people? I think, I mean, based on what other people have told me, especially during the affirmation series, was that they felt very seen and heard, that they felt like someone had, that 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 power of being witnessed, 
of like someone witnessing your grief or witnessing your joy and, and, and knowing that you went through that. Like so many people feel that, you know, we all have our invisible struggles. And so I think especially with the affirmation series, it was just the comfort in being like somebody knows, somebody knows what I've experienced. Um, even if they, you can't necessarily talk about it because not everyone has the platform or the safety or resources to talk about what they're going through. And so I think, you know, being able to like scroll through Instagram or something and just like see that quick piece of work and see that someone had seen you privately, secretly, intimately, and and you just get that acknowledgement, I think it felt good for a lot of people. And I think even with my art that I've done that was more intense and more uh, grotesque, like, and it begins with the body, like it's, you know, the artwork is, it's intense and it's weird. Um, that was very much a depiction of of ugliness and reclaiming what I felt was my ugliness and showing people. And I a lot of people were like, felt that they had seen themselves in that because it wasn't necessarily a depiction of like, oh, this is me and I'm feeling gorgeous and I'm feeling perfect today. It was like, this is me and I am imperfect and I have my ugliness and I have my dirtiness and it is still me and it is still worth protecting, you know? So I think that was the power in <laughs> some of my art. I had a Goodreads review where someone had been like, I didn't, you know, I didn't like the inclusion of religion in this book. Like I thought it was unnecessary. Like I don't, why does religion have to be a part of it? And it was like, and, and and to me, it's like it it definitely came from a place of like, well, I'm not Muslim, so I don't want to read about this or something like that. And I, I really rejected that because it's like, well, it's not everything is like catered to you. And also, I mean, if especially if you're coming from a very privileged place or you're part of sort of the dominant group here, which is like if you're like a white Canadian, the idea that a work might not be catered towards you is like jarring for a lot of privileged people. And it was like, well, this is my experience about faith and I'm not evangelizing to you or telling you to convert. I'm just telling you like, this is, this is my relationship. Part of my coming of age story is about my relationship with God. And I'm going to include that. I'm not, you know, telling you not to sin or something like that, but it did very much come off as like, this isn't about me. And I resent that. Exactly. You know, and I and it's like, well, I've read books that weren't about me at all. Like your whole life. <laughs> the, yeah, my whole life. Most <laughs> of the books I read aren't about me, but I still read them because it, I'd like to know about another person's experience because we're, we're all living in a society <laughs> together. OK, so and now Hannah is going to um, read an excerpt from um, her book of poetry, It Begins with the Body, and it's going to be the chapter that focuses on faith. So Hannah, take it away. Thank you. Okay, so before I, I read from chapter six, which is called Faith is a Relationship, I'm just going to describe an image in it just because it is a book of poetry and illustration. Um, and one of it is a, a, a little cartoon drawing of me uh, sitting in what was the basement of one of my Quran teachers. She taught Quran out of her basement. And uh, I'm sort of, you know, holding the Quran and there's the little sparkly green pouch that he, that my mom used to put it in for me. And there's sort of this, this ghost, this spirit sort of looming behind me in the image because um, there was this feeling of sort of being haunted by these 
by these spirits, by like holy spirits and trying to understand what that meant and and why I, I felt an uneasiness at the time. So I am going to read about that class, about being in my, my grand teacher's basement. So the poem is called Friday Class. Mrs. Yu said drawing was haram. She wore ballroom gloves, pearly white to hold the book during menstruation. Her daughter yelled at Satan, muted TV music, cursed Halloween, spread the good word, all precautionary steps before the day of judgment. Mrs. Yu said it could be any time, 10 years, tomorrow, Next century, she kept us on our toes. Speaking of threads above bridges of fire, of angels who ripped souls out of feet. Days, months, years, I stopped reading. I never wore gloves. I drew every day. If there is a bridge, so be it. Um, this one is called Prostration. Head upon dusty carpet, we giggled during sajda. Laughter left worship. Sisters, put your legs together. No gaps, no spaces. I hated being a sister. Who asked me? Did I even want to be in God's family? The call to prayer, bouncing echoes under the dome. The call to prayer, fading out. Sister, adjust your shirt. I was told you could speak to God in prayer. Dear God, tell these women to leave me alone. Flip through the book, gold along the spine. A holy ghost told me all families have their problems. Thank you so much, Thank Hannah. You. This was so delightful. Thank you yeah. so much. The Story So Far is a Silk Road Institute production and was funded by the Canada Council for the Arts Digital Now Grant. We acknowledge that the Silk Road Institute operates on the traditional territory of the Ganyan Kahaga, presently known as Montreal. These are unceded Indigenous lands and a place which has long served as a meeting and exchange among many First Nations, including the Ganyan Kahaga of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Huron-Wendat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. We recognize and respect the Ganyan Kahaga as the traditional custodians of these lands. The show was produced and researched by Asan Mogul, script writing and editing by Anam Shaw, additional script editing by yours truly, Tendisai Cromwell, the executive producer and creative director is Mohammed Shaheen. Music by Suad Bushnak. Marketing and communications by Noal Salim. Sound editing and mixing by Mark Knox at New Sound Productions. Graphic design work by Hamza Ali. Special thanks to Silk Road Institute's programs and development manager, Miriam Zaidi. For all of our episodes and to support Silk Road's future programming, visit silkroadinstitute.ca. I'm your host, Tendisai Kramwa. Thanks for listening.